All right, let's go to our scripture reading for this morning. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. I'll go ahead and read this for us. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and let's dive into the text today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathering and thank you for those who are joining us via live stream and all the ways we're able to draw close to your word and feed upon the spiritual bread. Would you feed us now? Give us your Holy Spirit so we would understand not only with our minds, but with our hearts as well, and be able to practice it with our hands. Lord, we are your children. You are our Heavenly Father. Would you feed us and nourish us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's a good principle to always keep in mind when it comes to reading the Bible, uh, especially when you come across this word in verse 7, therefore. The principle is to ask what the therefore is there for. Uh, Because the word just begs you to look at what what came just before this text and look at the context. And that's so important when you read the Bible to understand the context of the verse or the paragraph or the sentences and not simply take it out and read it without the context. So, you know, recall briefly what we talked about last week to get the context. Consider Jesus, the greater Moses, the greater prophet, uh, who not only leads his people out of bondage from Egypt, but from the bondage of sin, And why is that important? Lest you fall away. If you focus on anything, anything other than Christ, you will fall away. Keep your eyes on Jesus, right? And then we arrive at the therefore. And what that means is, here's an application that necessarily follows from that, from all of that. It's it's the author's way of saying, everything I've been laying out till now, okay, amounts to this. And what is this? It comes up twice, verse 7 as well as verse 15. Don't harden your hearts. Okay. You want to keep yourself from falling away from Jesus? There's something you actually can do. Don't harden your heart. 
And, and the rest of the passage is, is like a sermon on just what that means. What, what is the author here even asking of his audience, right, the Jewish Christians, and to us today when he says, don't harden your heart? What does that mean? And he explains uh, what that means by um, giving them two things, a warning and an exhortation, a warning and an exhortation. And those are the two points for today, okay? Warning and exhortation. Okay, first, he's warning them. How? Uh, he points them to their forefathers in the wilderness, including their most revered leader, Moses. Right? And he quotes mostly from Psalm uh, 90, 95 in the rest of the chapter, but let's take a look at 7 to 9. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. He's pointing their attention to their fathers, the Israelites who rebelled in the wilderness and for 40 years tested God's patience, his mercy, his goodness, constantly saying, we'd rather go back to Egypt and serve Pharaoh than to serve you. And if you look at uh, Numbers 20, you'll find that the, there's a story of how Moses, uh, in his anger, strikes the rock to give people water rather than speaking to the rock as God commanded him. And that was Moses' way of expressing his displeasure with God. I'm going to take, take matters into my own hands and do things my way. And so God says to Moses, you also shall not lead my assembly, and that's the Hebrew word kahal, meaning congregation. You shall not lead my kahal into the land that I promised you. And the, and the author of Hebrews is using that to gently remind the Jewish Christians who tended to focus on Moses and the law that they ought to focus on Christ because the final chapter of Moses' legacy was this tragedy. He was not able to lead God's assembly into the promised land. It's a warning. Okay? It's a warning. You want to revere Moses? You want to keep your focus on Moses and, and the story of Exodus as if those were the days of glory? Don't you know that they all perished in the wilderness? None of them entered the promised land. It's a warning. Now, here's something about warning. Warning is not something we should overuse as Christians, but it's something that you have to acknowledge. The Bible does use. Um, and that there are appropriate usage of warnings in the Christian life. I know, I know people can get a little nervous when they hear warning language in the Bible, or actually in any kind of religious context, but the question is really not whether we're using warning per se, um, because human beings use warnings all the time. Like, you know, wear a mask, right? Or else, right? Um, don't drink and drive, or else, right? We, warning is just a basic part of our human function in societal life. Sometimes we undermine how it functions in spiritual life, as if in spiritual life, warning shouldn't even exist. Um, but did you know the Greek word, actually, the Greek word for warning is synonymous with the word instruction? Yeah, the same word. Warning is really synonymous with instruction, and that's actually logical, right, if you think about it. To instruct towards something is to warn about not following that instruction, right? 
To promote a truth is essentially to warn against the falsehood. Those, those are really two sides of the same coin. Believe the truth or else you fall into this falsehood, right? Um, it's something I always tell my kids after we finish that. You know the prepackaged seaweed, kim? There's always that little white pouch that you ought not to open up and eat, but um, my um, one-year-old, she started to grab that little white pouch, and just before she kills herself, right, we would take that away from her and start warning her, right? No, don't eat that, or else, right? It's built into our social structure, basic everyday life function, um, but maybe not so much in the Christian life context as often as it should be. Again, shouldn't be overused, but not to be unused as well. And, and I hope that with that, you know, you'll be more open to hearing biblical warning now and then, even pastoral warning now and then, and not be immediately offended by that. I'm not saying you are offended by it, I'm just saying let's not be, okay? Or else you'll miss out on this spiritual benefit of being warned. Now let me also add this point about the, the, the warning. A part of the warning here is also this, okay? Um, it's possible, and you've seen this happen, where people begin well. They start off strong in their spiritual life, and end very poorly. That's, that's the warning. You can begin so well and yet end so poorly. And that means whether you're looking at your own spiritual life or the life of another person, you should never judge the high point of that person's spiritual life as the ultimate evidence of the quality of their spiritual life. Okay, does that make sense? The high point is not the point. That's what verse 16 is getting at. Take a look at verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Okay, who were those who rebelled and failed to enter the promised land? Who were they? Pagans? No. The Israelites who, who saw the ten plagues, who ate the Passover meal, crossed the Red Sea, guided by fires of cloud and pillar of fire, um, and ate bread that fell from heaven. Those guys. Okay. That amazing, incredible start led to this miserable finish. Right? Did you know this? Did you know that Christianity is not about starting well, but finishing well? Not reaching some high point and staying at that high point, but just getting through the finish line. You've seen those videos of athletes who celebrate too early, right? Those very cringy com compilation of videos where these world-class athletes, right? So close, so close to that prize, and they celebrate too early, and when, when their guard is down, they, they lose the prize. Best of the world, world-class athletes, the point is not to be world-class. The point is to get through the finish line, right? The point is not to enter the race, not to make it to the Olympics. That, at least that's not their goal. It's to get the prize. 
Did you know that about a million of your forefathers who experienced some of the most world-class miracles ever seen by mankind did not cross the finish line? Right, that's the warning. Okay, just let that sink in. Now, in case you're thinking, okay, that's the OT, that's the Old Testament, and that kind of thing just happens to people in the Old Testament. It's not going to happen to the New Testament church. Okay, let me say this. They were the church. Let me just take one minute and offer you a little lesson in biblical language. Uh, One of the reasons why a lot of people today draw such a hard line between Old Testament saints and the New Testament church is because uh, they tend to think that the so-called church is an invention that was birthed from the book of Acts after the Pentecost. That's not the case. Uh, Remember what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16. He says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, what? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's what's really interesting about that. None of the disciples, and not Peter, none of them ask Jesus, wait, um, Jesus, what's a church? What are you talking, what is a church? Jesus uses the word church as if they know exactly what he's talking about. And then later on in Matthew 18, just two chapters after that, when it comes to confronting someone about their sins, if they refuse to repent, what does Jesus say? Tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. That's excommunication. Okay. Again, nobody asks Jesus, what is a church? And here's why. They understood exactly what Jesus meant. It's the word ekklesia in the Greek. Church is ekklesia, and it literally translates assembly. Assembly. Remember how earlier I mentioned the Hebrew word for assembly is kahal? Ekklesia is the direct Greek translation of kahal. The assembly is the church. And that's why the, the Jewish people knew exactly what Jesus meant when he uses that word. It's not something that came into being in the book of Acts. It's how the people of God has always been identified as those who have been called and assembled, assembled by God to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's always been the case. That's still the case. We're the assembly of God, called by him to worship him. I share this with you so you would understand that this warning is for you and for me, not to, not to just the uh, people of the Old Testament. It's to all the people of God. And these fathers mentioned here are your spiritual fathers and my spiritual fathers. Okay. This warning is for us. Okay, remember what it says in Hebrews 2, just one chapter before this? How shall we escape if we, the church, the ecclesia, Neglect such a great salvation. Okay? Yes, we do have a better covenant and a better high priest in Jesus Christ. We no longer need to uh, go with the sacrificial system and the temple worship because we have Christ. And that means we have a greater obligation, a greater obligation to hold on to it and live by it, not less. Okay? If anything, then, this warning has to be heeded more by the church today living under the new covenant, not less. 
we're, because we are under a better covenant, we should all the more heed this warning because the, the, there's a greater obligation not to, not to let go of it. Okay? So let's beware of this and start considering the importance of finishing well. Not starting well, not reminiscing about, oh man, the, the good old days when I would be so fired up for Jesus. Stop reminiscing about the high points of the past. Run the race and finish it. Get through to the finish line. If anything, I think this actually liberates us, frees us from our obsession with the past so we can focus on the future. The old has gone, the new has come. Don't focus on the past. Finish the race. There is a power in that warning. Okay, point two. It comes with an exhortation as well. Exhortation meaning encouragement. Encouragement and really pleading with you to start heading in a positive direction. Um, two main exhortations here verse, in verses 12 and 13. Let's take a look at that. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, so here's the first thing. Take care. Right, take care of what? Your heart. You gotta check your heart for what? To see if there is an evil, unbelieving heart inside you. Now, this is not talking about um, every sort of unbelieving or, or shaky believing due to intellectual doubts that both Christians and non-Christians can wrestle with. Wait, this is not saying if you have an intellectual doubt about anything in the Bible, you're evil, get out, right? That's not what it's saying. The thing about intellectual doubts actually is this, it's necessary. Your intellectual wrestling with the Christian faith is very necessary. If you're, it means you're being constantly exposed to teachings and doctrines that challenge you, that stretch your, your comfort zone. You're growing. Uh, Tim Keller put it like this. Faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blindly go through life too busy or too indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Okay? Faith without some doubts is a body without antibodies, meaning you're vulnerable. You're completely vulnerable. So having, having a measure of doubt and then addressing them proactively is actually a very important part of your spiritual growth, your discipleship. If you're not doing this, you will not be equipped to evangelize. You're, you're probably feeling the, the, the pressure to not evangelize because you don't know how to answer all these questions because you haven't answered it for yourself. You haven't addressed your own doubts. So rather than keeping your faith silent this way, right, address your doubts, become a more effective witness. Right? So what does the evil, unbelieving heart mean? Kent Hughes, he's a Baptist pastor that I really respect, and, and he has a great quote on this. 
uh, on just what unbelieving heart means biblically, okay? Uh, he points to us the heart that is unbelieving and evil, it's really not talking about the intellectual aspect of our lives, but the behavioral and the practical aspect of our, of our lives. So here's the quote. Hardness of heart originates in unbelief, which produces contempt for God, which in turn shows itself in distinct behavioral patterns, namely negativism, grumbling, quarreling, and disobedience. We owe it to ourselves to hold this practical mirror of God's word up to our hearts so we can take an accurate reading of our spiritual pulse. What does our behavior indicate? A hardening, unbelieving heart or the blessed tenderness of a faithful heart? Okay, that's the description there of what the Bible means by an evil, unbelieving heart, negativism, grumbling, quarreling, whether that's external or internalized. Okay. You're not landing in peace, constantly up in the air, quarreling within yourself, or just straight-up disobedience. You need to turn away, turn away from these things, because the more you indulge in them, the more hardened your heart will become. The more hardened your heart will become. And we have to do ourselves the favor of not fooling ourselves into thinking because we're part of the visible church, marked by the visible sign of baptism, that therefore this hardening cannot happen to us. Think about the Israelites who were, as a whole assembly, by crossing the Red Sea, underwent baptism. By taking the Passover meal, partook of communion with God. They fell away. And look at, in verse 12, how he addresses, he addresses them as brothers. Brothers and sisters who are very much a part of the visible body of Christ. And he's saying to them, to you, to me, to the church, check your heart to see if you're cultivating an evil, unbelieving heart. Okay. Take care of your heart. And that's the first part of the exhortation. The second part. second part of the exhortation is this, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay? Here's the key to keeping you, keeping me from the deceitfulness of sin. It's the fellowship of the church. Every day. Exhort one another every day. That's the exhortation. Infuse into your life the life of the church, the ministries of the church. And that's everything from Sunday worship to, what do we have? Tuesday, Tuesday book study, Wednesday prayer, Friday Bible study, or just sitting down with a pastor one-on-one or, or calling the pastor. It's everything we engage in as the church, as the body of Christ for the rest of our lives. Every day, as long as it is called today. That's what keeps us from the deceitfulness of sin. As you heard in the call to worship, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. That's saying the same thing, right? Did you wake up today? Seek the Lord 
on him. Call upon him while he is near. And get others to do it with you. Because that's how we survive. That's how we grow. Stay connected to Christ by staying connected to the body of Christ. There is no other way. There's no shortcut. It's actually those who sought after a shortcut impatiently who failed to enter the promised land. They were impatient with God and fell away. But see, those who were content with the daily, boring, repetitive manna from heaven, the very few that were content with that everyday, mundane intake of God's daily bread, those were the ones, the few that made it and entered God's rest. The one who went not for the, the explosive dynamic impact of having this high point in their spiritual life, but those who were content with the drip, drip effect of every day. That spiritual discipline, those people crossed the finish line. And not only, not only do you have a lot you can receive, you know, really the point of receiving is so you can give, to be a cheerful giver. You know, I would really encourage you to spend the rest of the Lord's Day today considering this. Who can you reach out to who might be in danger, potentially even in danger of falling away because no one's reaching out to them? No one's praying for them, right? <laughs> Whenever I listen to Kendrick Lamar, I feel like somebody needs to start praying for him because he keeps saying, nobody's praying for me. Nobody's praying for me. Who's out there alone in the wilderness without being prayed for, without anybody reaching out to them? Reach out to them. Invite them to a church service. Offer them a prayer. Maybe share the gospel. What is one thing that you can do for one person to help them take one step towards Christ so they would not fall away? The church is all they have. The church is all they got. And if you cannot think of any other person, a Christian brother or sister who might be reaching out to that person, you might be all they got. Exhort one another. Let's remember why Jesus called us, right? Remember his mission. His mission is not, I want you guys to gather once a week on Sunday and huddle up and just celebrate how good you got it, right? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What are we doing for the lost? That's his mission. That's his mission. And we have to be exhorted by the scriptures and exhorting one another as brothers and sisters to participate in this mission to seek and save the lost. Okay. Here's the conclusion. The Bible never says, here are the steps to getting saved. In fact, if anybody tells you, here are the steps to getting saved, like you should run, right? run away, run for the hills. You can't take steps and give yourself spiritual rebirth. No less than you can give yourself physical rebirth. Spiritual, for spiritual rebirth, to be born again, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to to convict you of your sins and realize he took the place that you should have taken on the cross and, and that should therefore release you from the, the condemnation that you, you, you know that you deserve and then serve him as your Lord and Savior. That's how we become born again. 
But when it, here, when it comes to spiritual growth, growth, not birth, but growth, the Bible does offer us steps here and there, sprinkled throughout the Bible. There are things that you can do and you ought to be doing to grow. Okay? And here, I think we've just looked at two very concrete steps. Right? First, be warned. Right? Remember this warning. Don't fall away like your forefathers. Second, Second step, be exhorted, be encouraged, feed upon all the gifts from God given you through the visible church, as long as it is called today. So be warned, be exhorted. And here's the third step, right? If you, if you feel like you're doing pretty well with the first two, then take the third step. Be sent out as a witness, Call others, your neighbors, your friends, family members, to worship. As long as it is called today, be a witness. Offer them your Christian friendship and Christ-like love so you would see for yourself how you are more and more actually following Jesus on his mission, his mission. Be warned, be exhorted, and be sent out as a witness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kind fatherly warning that turns our attention away from the dangers of this life to first look to your son Jesus who actually finished the race for us and who encourages us to follow suit. God, would you help us fix our eyes on him, consider him continually so we may also finish the race. Lord, may we let go of the past, the foolishness of reminiscing about how good things were in the past, wanting to replicate or repeat experiences in the past, but focus on today, as long as it is called today, to follow after you with the body of Christ, being exhorted, holding on to your warning, and striving to finish the race. And as we do so, Lord, pray you empower us to be your witnesses as well. Help us not to be indifferent to the lostness of others. But even if there is one sheep uh, who is wandering away and you've, you've given us the awareness of it, you've given us a sensitivity to it, send us to that person. Help us remember, recall that person. Use us, Lord, to bring that sheep back to your fold. And may we function, therefore, truly as your body, your hands, and your feet. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.